today is from Matthew 6, 19 to 24, about treasures in heaven. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. On? Yes, I'm on. Um, <clears throat> thank you, Mike. <clears throat> Excuse me, Mike. And um, that reading. We do have these Bibles around. You might like to grab one. Um, the passage that Mike read is. Let me. Actually, need lots of yes, lots of bits. Um, <laughs> Um, while I get myself sorted, it's, I looked up the, it's on page 971, if you want to find the passage, although we'll, it'll be a little while till we get to it. Because <clears throat> our spirit, uh, subject today is generosity, and um, there we go, there's the word. Of course, what that means is that I'm here to tell you how about you need to give all your money to Christchurch, and I, I'm doing it because it wouldn't really be good for Andy to ha- or Dizzy to have to do it, because um, that would be really embarrassing. Um, you know, he, he talks about it, you know, our, our time, talents, and money, how we've got to give all of these to the church, get on with it. But um, <clears throat> no, that's not what I'm here to do. Because <laughs> as, you know, as Andy said it before, we're not about putting burdens on people, not weighing them down. It's actually counterproductive, as one wag said, too much talk of what we ought to do leads to a hardening of the arteries. That's, um, think about it. Anyway, anyway, generosity is it's as much about who we are as what we do. It's about our character as much as our actions. Someone is generous, and that leads them to act generously. So the first question really is, how can we become generous or become more generous rather than what we need to do specifically? I'm going to start with um, a little talk I remember hearing over 25 years ago, so it stuck with me. And the person was talking, somebody called Elaine Storkey, some may have heard of her, um, talking about two different kinds of economy. You talked about the economy that we're familiar with, an exchange economy. You go into Asda, you hand over money, and you get a, and you get a bottle of milk um, in exchange for the money. Or perhaps with your your time and your talents, you give them to an employer and they pay you for your time and your talents in exchange for them. But then she said there's a different kind of economy, and that's a gift economy, where something goes from one person to another, but it's just given. There's nothing in exchange. She said that's actually more common than we think. For instance, the most obvious example of a a gift economy is what we give to our children. 
when a child comes to the meal table, you don't say, okay, where's the money? Come on, I need the money. And before you give them their food, no. Um, and on the bigger scale, a gift economy is what we give to future generations in terms of the planet, if you like. That's one of the issues with the whole climate change thing, um, is about what we're going to bequeath to our um, children and our children's children. What kind of world will it be? And then she finished by saying, well, what kind of economy is God's economy? It's an exchange economy or a gift economy? And there's a big clue in what is probably the most famous... Oh, I've skipped on. I need to skip on. I'm not doing my... Are we doing... Is this working? Mm. Oh, there we go. Don't want that. Talked about that. Mm. Oh, here we go. Oh, give me the clue away. Oh, you didn't... Oh, dear, dear, dear. <laughs> You've got the whole talk. I might as well just finish up now. And <laughs> it's slightly... Can we, um, sorry, um, I'll tell you which slide to go to in a moment. The most famous verse in the Bible starts like this, okay, and this is the point, I mean, um, well, it's on the screen, so it's a giveaway, you know, for God so loved the world that he, let's say it's gave, okay, he gave his one and only son, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God gave. And it's always a good way, if we think any subject, it's not to start with what we should do, but what God is like, but rather with what God is like and what he has done and what he does. And we exist because God is love. Now God, and this is strange, God didn't create the universe because he needed to. Because actually God is, in this mysterious way, three in one. And there was a guy called Richard, who was a Scotsman in the 12th century, who said that God must be three. Um, because if he was only one, he'd have nothing to love. Because um, love leads a relationship. If it's two, then this relationship would be sort of too introspective, too sort of just them. Because love needs actually to draw in others. So love, God had to be three. But this love that is in God flowed out even more in that he created the world. He didn't need to, but he delighted in doing it because he wanted to share his love with it. And he lavished this love upon it. Somebody said that butterflies are God's extravagance. And the Bible said that in, in its first chapter, that when he finished, he looked at it and he saw that it was very good. And I think that's... Somebody sitting back saying, yeah. Anyway, see, it's God's pleasure and delight. And at the pinnacle of that creation was he created humankind, men and women, for this creation, to represent him in the creation, but also to be the principal part of how he relates. He relates to creation through us, through men and women. And there's a sign of this in chapter 3 of Genesis, the third chapter of the Bible. But in the context of it all going wrong, it says that God walked in the cool of the evening, was walking in the garden in the cool of the evening. And in a hot climate, you know, where, where, where the Jews lived, it was, the cool of the evening was the time when you relaxed after the heat of the day 
and you spent time with your friends and your family um, talking and discussing and enjoying each other's company. So God is there in the garden, but the man and the woman, they have sinned, they've fallen, they've eaten of that which they should not have eaten, and they know they've done wrong, so they hide. And then there comes what is, I think, the saddest question in the whole Bible. God says, where are you? Where are you? It just captures God's desire to be with them and to know them and to spend time with them. But they're not there anymore. But it's not the end, of course. But God's carried on loving the world, carrying on loving humankind. And so his plan of salvation kicked into action. And he eventually, the pinnacle of that, the ultimate point, was when he sent, as that verse, this verse says, he sent his only son so we might not perish, but have eternal life, undoing that work that they had done in the garden. God, is a, God himself is a generous and giving God. And he not, not, not only wants to rescue us, he wants to um, and restore that relation to us, but he wants to transform us. He wants to... Jesus shows us what we're truly meant to be, and he wants to make us more like Jesus. And this is where the number three, as it were, comes in of, of, of God, the third person, because the Holy Spirit comes to us. We get the gift of the Holy Spirit who comes to us to make us more like Jesus. And what does the Spirit grow in us? We call it the fruit of the Spirit. And it's love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, generosity isn't in there, but I think it's close friends with those characteristics. And they're all about who we are, much about who we are, as about what we do. The Holy Spirit needs our cooperation. We need to walk in step with the Spirit for this to happen. So how can we help the Spirit make us grow? And if we can go on slide, there we go. Generosity and thankfulness. Thankfulness is key. A number, I have a friend, John, who lives in... <coughs> right, okay. Yep. Um, I have a friend, John, who lives in Nigeria, and he's been there teaching theology for a number of years, and not long after I, um, he w went out there, I went to visit him for a couple of weeks. And one of the things that really struck me about the Nigerian Christians that I met was their thankfulness. John lived... Um, in a flat above a warehouse where Christian teaching materials were distributed from there. And he used to meet each morning, so I joined them, with the people who worked in the warehouse for prayer and a bit of Bible study. And one morning, there was a lovely guy called Samson, I remember he's from Liberia, all man, and he, um, and he thanked God for the beautiful weather. Outside, it was pouring with rain. But the point is the early rains had failed. So if this had not had rain that August, there would have been you know, shortage of food, if not, if not famine. So he was thanking God for his goodness in providing rain so that people may eat. And the practice, in, they call it, if you go down to visit somebody, they call it greeting. And when the, the, the custom is that when you come to greet, the, the host gives the visitor um, something to drink even just a glass of water. 
and the visitor will take this glass of water. And I, know what, I can remember clearly to this day, one, one person doing this, taking the glass of water and giving a prayer of thanks for a glass of water. And um, I think that's, that really struck me about thankfulness. And um, some verse, couple of verses, here we go, on thankfulness. The first one is about being thankful for what we have. And it's Jesus, you know, it's describing what Jesus does here. So he takes the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gives thanks and broke the loaves. Does anybody know the occasion when he did that? Just these small fish, two loaves. Anybody know what happened next? I've got a dot, dot, dot. Anybody know? Join though. Feeding of the 5,000, exactly right. So the five loaves, he gives thanks, and then this small, something, a, small a boy's pat lunch, that's what it was, boy's pat lunch, fed 5,000 people. So it's not, again, it's an illustration of how a small thing, given it in the right way, can do, is actually worth so much more, and do so much, isn't it? And the second verse is, um, is in a bit of... Um, We'll have another look at this chapter, parts of this chapter, later on. But Paul is writing to the, should be 2 Corinthians, anyway, sorry, 2 Corinthians 9.15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And that is, of course, the gift of Jesus, which puts all other gifts into into the, you know, into the shadows. Extraordinary gift that Jesus, that God gave us in giving, giving us Jesus. So what should we move on? What is going to be the product of our, um, of our thankfulness? What, where, does it, where do we go from here? And this brings on us to our, well, our passage for today. And in particular, the middle bit is this. Um, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. And it, the first point about this is that it's, if you've got clarity, if you've got good eyesight, you see things as they really are. Um, I need these to read now, and you know, if I had to take that, I really can't see what that is at all. So, um, um, but, you know... Eyesight, clarity, and the clarity about the things around us and the things in the world. The first part starts off about, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. (coughs) And... um, well, I, I had a really nice woolen jumper. And in those days, I used to keep my jumpers in a pile. And one day I got this jumper out, and it was full of holes. It had been eaten by moths. Well, the grubs of moths, you know. And, um, clothes moths had attacked this and eaten it. The jumpers on either side had not been touched. But they really enjoyed that jumper. Things don't last. Things do um, go wrong. I also know, as I know others do, about thieves breaking in and stealing. I've been burgled. And 
some years ago. Our modern world keeps saying, we've got to get, get, get. We've got to get the new, latest, shiny gadget, because it will make you happy. And it does, for a bit. And then you drop it, and the screen breaks. And you find that the battery is only giving you enough charge for about 30 minutes of use. And then you're mugged for it. So these things of the world are actually very, they go away, but we lose them. But um, there are things which last, and those are the things we should seek. We read on from the, our passage for today to the next bit. Jesus is talking about how we can learn from the birds and the flowers. And then he finishes up by saying, so do not worry, saying what should we eat or what should we drink or what should we wear, for the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need all of them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given you as well. So lay up treasure in heaven. So if we're thankful about what we have, we'll realize more clearly, I think, God's goodness to us, love, God's loving generosity, and that will free us from worry and anxiety about the things of the world, the treasure that is not lasting. It will enable us to see what is really, is really valuable, the things that last, the kingdom of God, and to seek these things. There's a choice, and the last verse of the, uh, of the passage puts it perhaps more starkly. Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Stark choice between two kinds of treasure on earth and in heaven. And here, a choice of two masters. The location of what, where we regard our treasure is shows where our heart is, and therefore where our allegiance lies. What, what master one is serving so the clarity is to see, to record, one of the parts of the clarity is to recognize that money is wealth and all stuff is something that can be our master and control us. They asked some millionaires how much money would be enough and I don't know what the, remember what the numbers were, but let's say it was 25 million pounds. That's enough to be happy. That was the average amount. However, none of those asked who had more than this said that that was enough. And everyone actually said that what they needed to be happy was a bit more than what they already had. So the question is, who's the master here? The people with all this money, or the money itself over them? And is recommending this book, and I think I will too. Well, Joy got it. Um, I haven't, I've been too much in a hurry to read this book <laughs> over the last couple of weeks, but um, Joy pointed out to me um, one thing, and he says, he points out in this talking about the two masters. He doesn't say you should not um, serve two masters, but you, you cannot serve. It's a fact of life. You cannot serve two masters. You have to make a choice. So the dangerous side of money, and clarity shows us we to say no to being a slave to it. We're to be thankful, we're content with what we have. But we'll also be able to see that money need no longer be our master but it can be our servant. We'll be able to free to use it to be generate heavenly wealth, be free to be generous with what we have um, 
in giving it away. It becomes a servant. The phrase that we have in, in as it's still there on the screen, if your eyes are healthy, that word healthy is one of these interesting words in the Greek in which the New Testament is written, um, of having a sort of um, different shades of meaning. It does have a sense of being sound and healthy. It's a sense of being undivided, not being split. But there's also a sense of it being of generosity. The clear eye is a generous eye. Because clarity brings freedom. Freedom from, <coughs> freedom from slavery to money. Freedom to be generous. And so generosity is a way we can put money in its place. That which we can give away has no hold on us. So we go to well, that then leads on to this. And another verse from which is 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And it, it, this is actually a, a part, Paul's writing to the Corinthians and telling them about a collection that's being raised for the Christians back in Jerusalem, where there'd been famine and they're in difficulty. And he was raising money from the churches in, um, in, in Greece, that part of the world. Um, and, but out of this comes a lot of teaching about our giving and how we use money. And um, he says this, you know, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. You think, well, that's a nice illustration. You know, if, you, if you're a farmer and you only put a few seeds in your field, you won't really get much of a crop. But if you put lots of seeds, you'll get a, a big crop. Is that sort of exchange economy stuff? Not really. Um, but the interesting thing I discovered in preparation is that um, the word translated generously here is another one of those interesting Greek words. Some versions translate it bountifully, which I think is just a fancy way of saying lots. Um, but the Greek word itself is related to praise and blessing. Um, this is somebody called Young, did a, a literal translation. And this, he who is sowing sparingly, sparingly also shall reap. And he who is sowing in blessings, in blessings also shall reap. It's almost as if Paul is shifting in the middle of an illustration to the application. He's saying what we should be doing is sowing blessings, blessing other people. And that creates, the more we sow blessing, the more blessing happens. It isn't really the, you know, you get some people who says, if you give to the church, you know, God will give you Lots more back. You'll do well from this transaction. That's the exchange economy, which is not God's economy. But what I think it's something like is that if we're, we're thankful for all that we have in God, what he has done for us in Jesus, this helps us understand the true value of things, and it frees us from their control. And in this freedom, we seek God's kingdom and God's blessing for others by using what we have received. Just after this passage, Paul says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So he's not wanting to impose a burden on the, on the Corinthian Christians. He's saying you've got to make a decision, you've got to choose, and not be compulsive. 
I was very disappointed to read. You'll hear people say that the word, which is, which it is true that the word cheerful giver, we're cheerful there. The Greek word is the word from which we get um, the word hilarious, hilarity. Um, but I was disappointed to read in the commentary that it didn't really mean that at the time. I was very disappointed about that. But um, but it does mean, um, you know, it's the opposite of reluctantly or compulsion. It's about wanting to do this, being glad to do this and to give. And the consequence of this, he goes on, is, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So if you show yourself to be somebody who God, you know, who gives, who seeks the blessings of others, he's going to give you more because in that way, more blessing will happen. There's a story of a farmer who was a Christian and he was noted for being very generous in giving to others, giving to the work of others. And somebody asked this about it. He said, you give so much away, but you never actually seem to have lack yourself. And he said, well, it's a bit like I'm in my grain silo and I'm shoveling the grain out, but God's shoveling it in. And well, he's got a bigger shovel. And... Um, so I, I, we need to draw to a, a close, and um, the final part really is about gener generosity and offering. Here's a, um, this verse is from um, the time at this, the person who's speaking this is praying to God, and it, it's my namesake, King David, and they've gathered all the stuff that is going to be needed for um, building the temple. And he says, who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. What are they giving? I mean, a little symbol, if you like, when we're taking the pennies and putting them in the, in, in the jug, you know, actually, the pennies that they were giving, we'd received beforehand. Putting, you know, we're just giving back to God what's already God's sense that we are, God has given, you know, if we give generously, it's because God has given to us generously. And perhaps um, in this, this little bit here, from the beginning of Romans chapter 12, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Um, offering ourselves. God wants actually for us to give all of us, all of me, all of you, each one of us, um, not because, you know, he wants to dominate us, he, but because in that, that's where we find true life. Um, and if you're worried about sacrifice, it's just worth saying sacrifice. The word sacrifice itself means um, something that is offered, made holy by being offered for God. So it's a, he's saying the same thing in different ways. He off, we offer our bodies, offer our whole lives as a living sacrifice, something offered to God, which is holy and pleasing to him. Um, and this is a, um, a seven-day-a-week job, this. Um, but there is also, that we have in, in the scripture, there is things which in some ways, um, you know, we can't, um, we do need 
to go out and work. We do need to get money so we can buy food, so we can live, we need to, and, and clothes to wear, and so on like that. And God understands that. But we ha- there, you know, in terms of money, in the Old Testament in particular, we have the idea of tithing, which is a giving a tenth. Um, but the idea of that is we give the tenth, and actually we give, you know, if you we give to God, you know, in, in the days they used to give to God the first fruits, the first things from the harvest, that's what, those, those are the ones they would give to God. They would give, the, the, give the, the tenth. But the tenth is, in a way, it stands for the rest. We're giving you this, you know, and God says, okay, you can keep um, the other nine-tenths um, for, for your needs. The part stands for the whole. Just as we perhaps put the pennies in there, it stands for the money we're giving in other ways. Um, um, <clears throat> And also, there's an aspect of this in the Sabbath as well, isn't there? We need to work six days a week, as they did then. Um, so that, but the one day a week, we, that's one that we give to God in standing for the others part as a whole. And um, so I, I, could, I guess I could try and persuade you what you should, um, particular things to put this in practice, but I'd rather you just think about that, you know, think about how what God has done for me, what God has done for us, what, how is God's generous heart for us to respond in our thankfulness. Um, we're going we're gonna to have a, a sort of time of reflection now. We give everybody, all, everybody a few minutes to think about this. So perhaps, you know, perhaps think about um, um, in the old phrases, count your blessings one by one. And doing that, that, that will stoke up your thankfulness. So there's a... Um, a rather cheesy video that came at Christmas time about this family in America. It's, I think that's why it's cheesy. But so everything like the, you know, the the sink in the, you know, the basin in the bathroom where you, um, where they're going to wash their face in the morning. There, you know, um, the children. It's all wrapped up in wrapping paper. You know, and the children come into the parents' bedroom and they're all wrapped up in wrapping paper. You know, and you know, as if everything's a gift. Well, it, it, it is, isn't it? And um, you know, they go out and you've got to, you had to take all the wrapping paper off his car before he could drive it away because it was a gift. You know, but to be, but he's being thankful, just thinking about all the things that we have that we are so often take for granted, and that will stoke up our thankfulness. Perhaps think about where is my treasure? Where is my, you know, where is my heart? What, what? What do I think about, you know, to what extent is money becoming a bit, a bit of a master over me? Perhaps consider, you know, um, your time and your talents and your treasure. How can they bring blessing to others? Perhaps it's about offering yourself to God. And perhaps somewhat for someone here who is yet to respond to that question that God asked in the garden. Where are you? Where are you? Are you hiding and shrinking from God as the man and the woman did? Because he wants to find you.